You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. Welcome back to the podcast, Doug Good and Talia. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And everyone, don't just jump out at once and today. <laughs> oh my god! How is everybody? I'm, I'm the one that's been sick this week. I know. I, Can I, I just I, tell I'm you the, that I'm the one that should take a vacation? <laughs> How is COVID coming along, Greg? COVID is on its way out. Good. They tell me. Have you tested negative yet, or do you still get a an aggressive pink line? Oh no, I still get the I still get a giant fu from the test. It's like it's not just pink; it's like dark purple. That I think it's magenta. That yeah, it's it's dark. It's it's like you definitely have it. Are we sure? Definitely. Are we sure the strip is not a mood reflector? <laughs> like a mood ring like mood I rings used to be is that really what it's measuring for you possibly possibly how, how are you avoiding how, the question of your mood i'm avoiding the question of my mood his mood is <laughs> i've got my notepad ready his mood is magenta the mood is magenta i don't know what mood you know those mood rings were really pretty cool i want one again Back in the 70s. Anyway, that's before maybe both of your times. Speaking of the 70s, is this a perfect segue into, do you know what I've been doing? Okay, this isn't going to come out right. What I was going to say is, do you know what I've been doing? Dahmer. But I haven't been doing Dahmer. That didn't come out right. But I've been obsessing and I've been dying to talk to other therapists about Dahmer obsessing oof i know and it's like really triggering really disturbing and i want to deep dive and i think that i've bullied the two of you about it enough that now we might get to like do a whole episode talking about the inner workings of creating a serial killer we all, you know, we need an episode on bullying as well, Talia. And because you are bullying us, um, we're going to use you as the example of how that mental manipulation works. You know, it's interesting. The minute I hear Dahmer, I have an immediate sort of like trigger because I came out shortly before he killed all of those gay men from the bar. And it brings up a million different things, which I think we also need to talk about because I think they're still relevant in this day and age. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, so Greg, you were, you know, telling us I, about Mental Health Awareness Day that I think is tomorrow. And I think that there's yep. nothing more relevant than talking about what, where do things go wrong? And I think it's isolation. I mean, yes, yeah, some people are wired to have mental illness and there's a huge genetic component and the nature nurture piece is there's so much like sadness and isolation and he was so alone right without any relationships or any role models and um he had no idea how to have a relationship or how to come out or how to acknowledge certain things within himself and it just look where it got him it's just absolutely terrifying 
So October 10th is World Health Organization's World Mental Health Day. And the overall objective of World Mental Health Day is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and to mobilize efforts in support of mental health. So sort of like the the one day in the year that you want to recognize that mental health is a thing and it's important and we need to pay attention, right? Which I don't think is news to anybody, especially here on our, our podcast, right? I thought it might be interesting for our listeners um, if each of you could talk about how you got into you know, the mental health world and, and how you uh, decided to, to engage. Because <laughs> I don't think we've, we really haven't talked about your origin stories yet. <laughs> oh, before we became super villains. There you go. <laughs> I mean, superheroes. Oh, you just put a stigma on mental health, Talia. We are not super villains. We are super empathic people. Oh, that's our superpower. Is it? Doug, what's your origin story? Oh, boy. This is so layered uh, because there's really so many pieces, I would say, of what makes anybody a therapist, especially if you like what you do, which I think both you and I do, my dear. So uh, here's what I want to say, and this is so interesting to me. So I'm positive that part of what not only is part of my experience as a therapist in, in terms of understanding people and in terms, in terms of being present and in terms of liking this work, I know there's stuff about my own personal experience growing up. You know, um, I had some abuse in my family. I had some poverty in my family. And I think it created a situation where I became very aware and almost like vigilant this is very personal information, but almost vigilant of like my surroundings, where I found safety, where I found trust, where I found support. Um, you know, I've had therapists actually ask me during some crises in my family of origin, like, how did I survive that? Like, how did I get to where I'm at? And I think, you know, there became this kind of, again, I, I, I found this way of looking outside of myself to read people and to assess situations. And I think there's a lot of us who walk around kind of hypervigilant to that experience. And so I think I've, I learned to read people at a very, very young age, kind of as in a self-preserving and protective way. However, the funny, funny thing about this is by, I would say, I think it was 10th grade, my high school guidance counselor, thank you, Bob Cushman, um, took me aside and said, I want you to go to this camp called PIP, Partners in Prevention, for anybody who went as well. Um, my friend Kelly did. Uh, but, you know, the the Partner in Prevention program was to design uh, or, or to encourage peers to support other peers. And so from a very early age, I was kind of identified. I remember, I remember my high school guidance counselor, who I didn't know very well, said, you've been identified as somebody that people want to talk to. And I remember thinking, what? Um, and so I had the option in high school to take people out of classes if I thought they were hurting or in pain. Um, I could take them to the Dairy Queen at the school's expense. Um, there were lots and lots of controversies about me being able to do that. Not all teachers were supportive of that and thought it was more like Doug wants to hug people. Uh, that was one of the suggestions uh, of those of us who did that. Uh, but it really wasn't it. And I will tell you, the funny story is that I resisted it. I thought it looks too obvious that I'm going to be a, a psychologist or a clinical social worker or a therapist. And so I, I defied it and I went into pre-law when I went to school, much like you, Greg. Um, and I will tell you that by year two at Hamlin, I remember going to the professor and saying, I don't like these people. I don't want to be associated with these people. Thank you for laughing, Greg. Um, and I moved over to psych and it was the best thing I ever did. These people were my people. 
it was a very, very organic and natural experience. And then when I looked at grad school, like I knew I wanted to try to be a therapist. Like I knew it was one of my, my, my efforts. And, you know, I worked in HIV. I worked at the Minnesota AIDS Project as an intern. And I remember this really, really great case manager by the name of Michael, um, who said to me, Doug, you need to be on the mental health side because every time you meet with someone, you naturally have this tendency to want to assess and ask questions and be curious and, you know, get them to a better understanding uh, of themselves and, and what they might do to make their lives better. So I took that I took that feedback, um, which was kind of, you know, the way that I think it was naturally headed and looked at graduate school programs and the clinical social work program at the University of St. Thomas and St. Catherine was so my place because it talked about like human diversity and it talked about social justice and it talked about being able to be a, a psychotherapist and build a practice. And I'm incredibly grateful for that experience. Those were the best people I've been around. I had the best professors and guidance and mentorship. And, you know, you go into this field, though, and I'm curious what you will say about this, Talia, like you go into this field a little blind, like you, you, you hope you can do it. And I remember sitting across from people early on in my career, just being like frightened to death. And I remember this kid I was seeing, my, my supervisor, Clay, was amazing. He was like the best person I could have been supervised by because he, he gave me possibilities of working with all kinds of people. And I remember this adolescent picked up a rock and was going to throw it at my head. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. But you use your instinct and you obviously over the course of time develop not only your theoretical framework, but, you know, I look back and I think, Greg, it's, you know, to go to your question, it's an evolution. It is like a, a constant thing. And even doing this podcast has been a stretch, I know, for me. And I, I think for you, Talia, from our conversations. Yeah. But I'm curious, Talia, what's your story? Oh, well, I loved hearing your story because it just, you know, I feel like I didn't even know I had anything to say until I just heard your story. I mean, essentially, I would say I got to mental health kind of by accident as well, because I didn't even realize why I got into the field other than my undergrad degree was in anthropology. Wow. I I was so interested in people, but in cultures. And I did, uh, you know, my um, master, no, yeah, no, no, no. My undergrad thesis was in culture bound syndromes. So like different mental health issues that were happening in different countries, different continents, different cultures, because they were culturally created and like there were some places with just like this different ways of looking at like you know histrionic people or different like things that we we don't even have some of these issues that you know other places were having but I didn't realize that what was really interesting to me was people and then after undergrad I decided oh my god dude what am I gonna do with this like am I gonna move to Papua New Guinea and like study people. And I'm like, no, I like high thread count and Nespresso coffee. I, no. Anyway, I digress. So it was then, about money for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know it's, it's all not. about sheets and coffee and wine and okay. And you know, brie and cold cheese. So I then we moved to Northern California because that's where my husband, we were in like the dot-com boom, Silicon Valley and all that insanity. And I remember I was, you know, I was teaching, co-teaching, teaching Hebrew, teaching whatever. And I was working so much and 
feeling zero sense of autonomy, purpose, any of that stuff. I finally figured out that my only skill set is having really interesting conversations over coffee with my girlfriends. It's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do, right? And so then if I have to like look back at like how this all came to be, maybe it was like I was an only child. I had parents that went through a lot of stuff and divorce, but I didn't at that time figure out that I was trying to work through a lot of these things. But what I did realize that was so crucial and where I found my purpose was in the witnessing of others and feeling like I was helping in a process of validating and showing up for people um, and people validating and showing up for me. That's how we feel most alive, most connected. So I think that that is how this all happened. And then, yeah, grad school just like breaks you open. You are completely naive. You have no idea what you're doing. And I know you said, Doug, the same thing that happened to me when I started my grad school program. They also told me right away, like first class, you are going to outgrow a lot of your relationships. A lot of the relationships you're in are not going to survive this next four or five years of you becoming who you're going to be. Talia, you know, you said something that I think is really, really critical about what it is that we do. And that's that we sometimes create a situation where we are also healing by helping other people heal. And so I have learned so much from my clients over the course of years. Um, I also think one of the core social work values is the use of self. And so, you know, we naturally take our experience and we use that to try to understand and help other people based on what we've experienced. Um, but I kind of love your anthropological piece too. Like when we get into like how diagnosis, for example, works, it's critically important to take into account those cultural values and those cultural uh, norms as it relates to like what we do. And so if we have a client from a different culture, that's where your anthropological piece comes in just beautifully, right? Well, and it is, it's like even knowing what you don't know, it's sort of like you can't walk into a situation right. and assume that you feel the same way about certain things as other people because it, it just, it's like almost, you've got to come in with a beginner's mind. Right. And just yeah. be thinking about like, I am just going to show up as a very curious, neutral uh, witness. Like I try to roll out the red carpet, sort of like I follow one step. A yeah, I follow one step ahead is sort of the way that I think about it. And I like to let the person lead. And I also one thing that I've realized that is really important. I think that I've realized it through talking to you, Doug, is that in certain situations where you do come from a different cultural ethnicity or a different, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, you need to open the doors to the possibility that they are wanting to talk about things that I'm not making as available, as open, as, you know, the path is not necessarily 
open yet. So I have to make sure that I'm touching on things that might be really relevant to the person that isn't going to be coming up in the natural conversation. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, you know, and I know exactly what you're talking about because we know, I think we've talked about, you know, if I'm working with someone from the LGBTQ community um, or someone who is non-binary, I need to address what that experience is within the culture that we currently live in, which is incredibly complicated. We have laws, particularly in the South going on, um, that are highly discriminating and highly hateful and highly fear-based. Um, and all of those are really, really harmful. Like one of the things growing up gay that I've come to realize is that I had no role models. We've talked about this as well when we talked to Brian Sims in a previous episode. Um, the reality is I think when we don't have those experiences, we don't learn how to talk about them. They are not a part of our normal conversation. That's why I take every opportunity to ask really tough questions. Like I ask every gay or lesbian identified person, how is it for you to be gay or lesbian? Because everyone's experience is different based on what religion they grew up in or what family of origin they have or what their current experience is. And I just think, and some people will say, you know what, it's totally fine with me. And then later on in their therapy, they'll be like, I'm sorry, it is not fine with me. You know, I was a jock and it was really hard to be in the shower with other guys. And, you know, I always felt like I needed to be ultra careful about myself, et cetera, which is incredibly sad. Like we should all, of course, be encouraged to be our full person. I always tell people that the goal of therapy is to live an honest life, whatever that is for you. And that's not for you and I or any other therapist to decide. It's to figure out what that is for that person. So, Talia, I love that. And I love that one of the things, you know, really that you're saying is that we continue to evolve as therapists and we learn new things, you know, and I think particularly, and Greg, I don't know if you referenced this specifically, but, you know, the world that we live in now, the conversations we're having in our appointments are about politics and about um, human rights and equality and the things that are really on the docket right now as we approach this next election, right? Um, and those things are incredibly stressful for people. So when you consider that your rights might be taken away that is a huge, huge, huge psychological stressor to continue to try to manage. Greg, it looks like you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that's very interesting, and especially the way you both approach, and you know, your clients, and you and you look at you know what you do know, what you don't know, um, and how you both got into it. But in terms of recognizing, you know, mental health awareness, what's your advice for how? individuals can recognize that in others that someone else might be going through something what what does that look like or what it might what might it look like or being misinterpreted as um when you see a friend or even someone just in the grocery store or in, on the street like what what does that look like um just from a recognition perspective Greg, that's such a good question. And I don't know why when you said like in a grocery store, I immediately was thinking about this like really sweet client that I have that um, was from years and years and years ago. But she was talking about how all of her friends told her that she has resting bitch face. Do you know what I'm talking about? RBF, right? And so I was like, what? Like, she is so warm and so sweet and so personable. Like, what is happening? This is very good feedback. And then what she was telling me is, in fact, she has crippling, debilitating social anxiety. And so she doesn't feel like she can be herself when she's out in public. She feels really like, what is that word? Is it like 
depersonalized where you feel like you're almost like outside your body looking in when your anxiety is so high that she isn't even in that experience. She's so self-conscious. And so I feel like maybe sometimes when you look at somebody and they look really unapproachable, it's possible they're really uncomfortable and they're really anxious. That's like one thing. And then what I think depression often looks like is you might find either somebody is disappearing, not responding to you. You might be taking it really personally. You might think that they don't like you anymore or they're ghosting you or whatever that is. It's really possible that when somebody's dealing with some mental health issues, getting out of bed is too much. Brushing your teeth is too much. You just can't. And so when there's somebody who's like, oh, hey, thought of you, what are you up to? It too much. You just can't. And so even just to be thinking about before we're taking things personally and thinking that it's about us, it's probably not about us. They might be going through something. Well, and then the question is like how to approach that. You know, I want to go back as well to your comment about the grocery store. And I kind of I kind of smiled when you said it because I have horrified my kids uh, and some of my friends. You have the opposite I, of resting bitch face. What's the I opposite? Have, <laughs> so here's the problem, though. I want to I want to talk about resting bitch face because I have a funny story about that. But I also want to say that one of the things that uh, when I talked before, like what brought me into the mental health community, like I learned and I, I, I talked about it in terms of being hypervigilant from my childhood. I would call that scanning. Like I would call those of us who have some hurt or trauma or abuse or neglect in our past. I think we have this tendency to scan for safety. So I, I oftentimes will talk about clients as scanners once they've had that sort of experience. And so I end up um, and, you know, I'm most reminded at my older daughter's birthday party in New York at a taco uh, restaurant. I knew the server was not OK. And so I just in the middle of ordering, I said, are you OK? And this person started crying. And, and, and had to run away for a little bit. And my older daughter like hit me and said, can you please stop doing that? Um, but I do it everywhere. And, you know, one of the things that I experience in Talia, I'm sure you do as well. Like I'll be at the butcher and I'll be just, and I think it's eye contact. Like I've decided it's eye contact and receptivity, but people will inevitably just start sharing their incredible stories. Um, I've been on, on the phone with people and I'll be like going through a checkout aisle and my friends will be like, okay, is that person sharing about their childhood or their marriage to you? Because I naturally do have an interest in paying attention and I'm always looking and probably have developed this intuition about what people are experiencing. This thing about resting bitch face, by the way, that I think is hilarious is that the use of masks during the pandemic allowed people. I have a, I have a person that I work with who's like, I'm going to wear masks forever so I don't have to look a certain way that people don't have to, that I don't have to engage, that I don't have to smile or look pleasant. So I think the masks really provided this sort of like shield for people to not have to show people what they were experiencing all of this time. Right. Um, a thousand percent. Right. And Isn't I, that funny? I feel like there are, there are a lot of people that now wear a mask, <laughs> not because they're afraid of getting COVID, <sighs> Yeah. But I think it's twofold because I also feel like a lot of people have forgotten what their faces look like when they're not paying attention, right? It's like all of a sudden, and if people right. are trying to like, you know, delete their Zoom 
presence and just be like, oh, I can't look at myself. I'm just going to look at you, which is also funny. Oh, masks and all these poor kids that have had two and a half years of their lives where they haven't gotten yeah. a lot of like facial feedback. Yeah. Anyway, you wanted to talk about the resting bitch face and your so, opposite of resting bitch face. The come I am hither. probably the opposite. It's like I a also- come hither face. I also come hither face. I also, because I make eye contact. Like, I think it's one way that I connect with people. So I look at people directly. I think it's one way that people feel comfortable talking. Um, I want to go to, though, Talia, what you referenced and Greg, your question about, like, what do you do and how do you approach somebody? And, you know, I think there are those really, really obvious circumstances in our world. If somebody has had a loss of a loved one or the loss of a pet, it is typically very easy to recognize something like, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, And one of the things I always want to say is that I think, and I learned this from a really great grief professor I had um, who talked about like the goal is not necessarily when somebody's hurting to ask what it is that would be of support to them, but to offer some support. Like that's why we bring casseroles in Minnesota anyway, um, or, or, or whatnot. I hot dishes, I guess. Um, But there's, there's also this element of like, do something, you know, did you just, Shake your head, Greg. When I there said was also dish. an eye roll. There was in, there in was case a we're silent calling eye roll. Out. Yes. Do you want to talk about what that means to you and how yes, that feels? Yes, because to you? the rest of the world calls it a casserole, and I know that <laughs> for those people that live in normal world, it's a casserole. Ooh. But Minnesota oh. prefers to call it a hot dish because it's hot and it comes in a dish. <laughs> the rest I of the world wait. calls it a casserole. <laughs> For all of you listening, feel free to give Greg feedback on his discriminatory Midwestern comment. Hateful. Just pure hate. Normal. He said normal. I did say okay. normal. Anyway, do you I did say guys normal. remember, and this Greg's going to for sure cut this out because he loves, he hates it when I digress, but do you, does this also remind you of sweaty balls? Do you remember that? Which Baldwin was it? Steven? Steven? No, it was Alec. Alec. God, he's so hilarious. But that whole, like, was it NPR, NPR, that whole Saturday Night Live skit about, like, they were basically, I don't know, were they from Minnesota, deep diving into the the cheese balls that his last name was Shweddy, the Shweddy. Like, do you even know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I'm really apprehensive to comment on it. Not only because it's Alec Baldwin, but because of the topic. Sorry. It's okay. No, you could you could talk about balls all you want, Talia. I'm going to refrain for now. Sweaty balls. Maybe another episode. Um, I want to go back to the very very serious question though about like how to manage or how to approach somebody because it's always okay, kind of like myself. Um, And I know that not everybody is a therapist and not everybody feels comfortable. But if you feel like something is changing for someone in your life, if you feel like they're not communicating the same way, if you feel like their affect your or or their energy level when you talk to them is different, if you're finding themselves if you're finding them isolating or whatnot, I absolutely 100% encourage you to reach out. And there are support networks. There are there are those of us who are easily accessible via a phone call. There's the suicide prevention hotline. That's a national hotline. Um, but I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, check in with one another. I mean, let's not avoid each other. Let's, let's really just ask, I just want to check in with you and make sure you're doing okay. 
you know, I've had a dear friend who's going through a lot in his life, uh, moved out of town. And I just periodically say, just checking in, are you doing okay? Um, because it's tough. And I, I think people benefit as you and I, Talia do for a living, people benefit from talking, people benefit from sharing their experience. And we have to make safe spaces for people to do that. And we have to just ask. And I, I just say, reach out. I am thinking of two reasons why people might not want to reach out to other people. And maybe this can be a sign to do it anyway. One reason that I hear about often is, well, I don't know what to say. Like, what if they are going through a hard time? Like, I don't know what to say. Or these like horrible tragedies, people actually disappear. They do not show up for other people. They start panicking when somebody else has something horrible happen to them because they feel like they don't have the right thing to say. They don't know what to say. And so what I would say to you is it doesn't matter. This person that's struggling is not thinking that you're going to solve this for them. They don't want solutions, most likely. They just want you to get into that pit with them for two minutes and just sit there with them. They need a witness. They need to not feel alone. They need to feel loved, even though they're going through something difficult. The second reason... Oh, no, go ahead, Doug. What did you no, want to say? No, you know... I, I want you to continue and then I'm going to, I'll talk about what I was going to. Go ahead. Um, what I was going to say is like the, the second reason why sometimes people don't reach out to other people, I think, and even this is with like parents, is we're afraid that we're going to put something in their head that wasn't already there. Like people never ask each other. Are, have you ever had any like suicidal thoughts or are you thinking sometimes about, about ending it? And I'm not saying that you should go out and ask all of your friends that might be struggling with this, but people are really afraid to talk to each other about these things because they're afraid that if you weren't already thinking about it, I've just introduced it to you or self-harm or anything. And what, what I guess my experience is you're not introducing anything to anyone. You are just making it safe and okay for them to talk about it. And if there isn't any suicidal thoughts or ideation, it's not like all of a sudden there will be. But if there is, all of a sudden you've made it safe to even talk about like, you know what, I am having a really hard time and I did have a couple of scary thoughts, but this is how I'm managing or, you know, and I must say, I mean, I think uh, what was going through my head and why I had a comment while you were talking, I think one of the most beautiful things that happened to me in grad school, you know, going back to why it is that we are who we are and what led us to be who we are. I had this really ridiculously amazing and gentle and smart professor by the name of Dr. Bill Bradshaw. Thank you so much for everything you, you offered me. Um, but one of the most important things we were doing these, you know, practice or mock therapy sessions. And I remember he took my video and he said, so Doug, you're always seemingly thinking about what your next question is. You're always trying to think ahead, like what would be helpful? He said, all you have to do is listen and try to understand. And I honestly, to this day, what, 30 years later, I about fell off my chair. I'm like, well, that makes this so easy. And I'll be honest, even today, if I'm feeling like, you know, 
I'm, I'm struggling with wanting to say something to a client or say something to a friend or the advice that I give people when they're trying to be supportive to other people. I always say his words, listen and try to understand. It is really that simple. And so Talia, when you talk about like all the reasons why people might avoid approaching somebody that they think might be having a hard time, all you have to do is listen and try to understand. Yeah, It's really magic. It's It just frees you to feel like you can show up for somebody without a degree, without knowing how to help them, without trying to save them. All you need to do is show up and listen. Yeah, it's true. One of the one of the things too that I've come across a number of times is that people feel like that person that they asked how they are is really leaning on them, and they feel like they're kind of saturated, and they feel like I, I really have nothing more to offer, and I'm getting actually depleted by that experience. I would say it's really okay as well to tell your friend or your loved one or anybody in your life, like. I am here for you and I love you and I want you to feel better, but I feel like I can't kind of continue being there for you in the way that I am. And I need, I need to encourage you to seek out some professional support. Oh. That is where we come in. Right. And we that is all, so important. Yes, it is. Like you don't, you can't be expected to be a therapist. So that's why we do what we do. I'm so glad you brought that up. Go ahead. And, and, and not everyone is a therapist, right? which is sort of like the root of the question. And and I really like, um, you know, your advice in terms of like how you can engage and things and things like that, Doug. Um, but Talia, I also really liked what you were saying about you may not people may not want to respond. And, and I think that you don't necessarily have to. Right. So so part of it is is not being offended or not being um, not taking offense or at least just recognizing it in others so you can pick a point at which you would engage or decide that you need to say something or open the door to listen, you know, as you both so eloquently, you know, put, right. Um, are there any other cues or um, behaviors that people should be on the lookout for? You know, you, Doug, you talked about scanning, but what does that look like for the layperson? And that's, that's not engaging in mental health on a regular basis. I want to say something, Greg, about what you just said before I answer that question or we go into that. Like, you know, one of the things that you just said was that person may not want to. And it's important to understand if that person is struggling and they're not talking and they're not getting some support and they're not communicating with you, that's going to affect those relationships. Like if your partner has a substance abuse issue or a friend of yours is going through depression or anxiety and isolating and withdrawing from that friendship, it is okay to say, I feel you withdrawing and I feel like that's affecting our friendship. Like, so even not wanting to talk about it though, could be a problematic, but you know, going specifically, like when you said, uh, when your question was about like what the scanning looks like, you're scanning again for isolation. You're scanning for a change in behavior. You're scanning for a change in your relationship. You're scanning for what feels like an energy shift in that person. Like we all know the difference between someone like myself who typically will say, Hey, when I see somebody versus someone like if I showed up at the next podcast and said, hi. You both would know something's wrong because I'm not that person. Greg, keep your opinion to yourself. Um, but I am, I typically have a lot of energy and my personality. So I want to, I want to Greg say personality change is a really, really big piece of this. 
you know, if one of us showed up and we didn't have the same energy, we should all be concerned. But what about strangers? What about people that you don't know and you have no relationship to on the street at the grocery store? What about them? Does it matter? (laughs) Are you like, do we need to do something about that? Is that a problem if someone's looking surly by the oranges? Like I have a savior complex, so yes, it matters to me, Talia. I know, I and that's to- why I laugh so much because I feel like you and I are so different in that way of like whenever I'm with you, your come hither eyes and my like, oh my God, don't look at me vibe are in direct competition but yours always wins you're like oh come sit with us have a drink do you want to be on the podcast oh what you say what you cheated on your wife and now you're with this other person and that's your son does your son want to be on the podcast so funny you say that, Talia. As we went to go get coffee, as the beautiful place down the street, the owner was right there and he's like, Oh, the podcast people. And I'm like, Yeah. And he goes, I'm going to call you Dimples. And I said, Okay. And Talia's trying to order a coffee. And, and I'm I'd like, like, I'd like a, a small <laughs> coffee with, and yeah story of our lives together. And I said, and I kept going and I'm like, we should record the podcast in the coffee shop and invite people coming in to talk about their stories and their days. And then I apologized to the dude behind me who we were clearly interrupting his morning. And as he was drinking water instead of coffee, waiting for us to get done. And you're like, um, lunch and coffee. And I'm like, Oh no, we're going to talk. And the guy kept, you know, we were engaged. Right. So, and he welcomed us by the way, to film at his coffee shop. Yes, it's absolutely true. Oh, I, I do think I'm thinking of like one other thing that maybe we haven't discussed. And maybe this is the person by the oranges or, you know, somebody. But it's like you might not even notice, but the quality of the relationship is going to change because maybe somebody is sharper, shorter, like less warm And you're going to think like, oh, they're agitated with me. They're irritable. They're irritated. They're in a bad mood. That's about me. But it might be they're stressed. They're anxious. They're depressed. They're not finding a lot of energy and joy in their day to day. So often it is helpful for you to use yourself as the barometer. So like if the scanning is something about this feels different, something about this doesn't feel good, you might in your wiring because of whatever happened in in your life and the way that you see the world and the way you see yourself, you might think that's about you. And you might think that something's changed in the relationship because of you. And so that might be the place that you start is you then turn it around and scan and be like, oh, they're making me feel bad. They don't like me anymore. And then Yes, but here's Douglas. what I would say about that. Because I'm a person big on communication and transparency, I would say it doesn't hurt to check it out. It doesn't hurt to say, so I'm feeling something. I don't know what it is. I want to make sure there's nothing going on between the two of us and want to check out what that is. And I say, ask about it. I don't think you should, I don't think you should have to do yourself inventory and say, I don't think it's about me. I think it, you know, because the only, the only way of starting that support going back to the question of like how you approach people is to ask the question. So be curious and check it out. I want to also say, Talia, you know, you commented on this. I don't think 
most people want to approach a stranger on the street, whereas I do. And that doesn't always go well. And I try to take the cues. Um, but I've had so many people say, I can't believe somebody actually asked me how I am or noticed me. You made my day, right? Or your energy made my day or your smile made my day or whatever it is. Um, and I think we are so apt, especially since the pandemic, to stay isolated. And again, not everybody needs to be that person, but you get to be as well. Don't be afraid. I Okay. I love that you just said that because you're absolutely right. And it's such a good reminder that have you ever had the experience where you might be in whatever mood, but then like somebody will open the door for you or somebody will flash this big, beautiful, warm smile at you. And then you immediately like there's this little light inside of you that turns on and you're like, oh, my God, humanity. Right. And so it's yep. this like really beautiful, infectious feeling of then you pay it forward and just picture like if you are the person that's spreading that feeling and that love and if you flash someone a big beautiful warm smile or open a door or like my favorite stories are when people like go through the you know drive through coffee lane and they're like I'd like to pay for the person behind me oh my god <laughs> yes do it. Like it just these little moments that, especially in a world, I think this is full circle, right? Especially in a world where there is so much pain and fear yeah. and isolation and division. How do we keep an open heart and open mind and remember that we're just like a little drop of water in the ocean and we're surrounded by all these people. Some of them are actually wonderful, fabulous people. Yeah, a lot of them are. And so if we can just continue to stay in this place of love and open-heartedness and my dear sweet husband's going to cringe when I say abundance because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> abundance! abundance of love and joy and energy. And just like, it does really change people's inner chemistry to have somebody ask them how they're doing, flash them a warm, beautiful smile, open a door, pay for their coffee, do it. Let's start a movement. That's, a, that's really, really great. That's a really great sentiment, Talia. And I think a perfect way to end the conversation is um, to, to, to talk about that. Um, one of the things we're going to do on the website, we're not fine.com is add a resources page. And that's where you'll be able to see not only information about um, world mental health day, but additional resources that <clears throat> are curated and supported by Doug and Talia and, and myself in terms of places you can go um, to refer people or look at, um, you know, places that can help um in, in various capacities. So um, that'll be um, we're not fine.com slash resources that will be adding that to our website. And of course you can check out our merch and of course um, all um, information about the podcast and, and updated episodes will be there as well. For sure. For sure.